G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Your adversary, the devil, in the person of his demons, are constantly prowling around. Dr. Michael Youssef. You get in the car, and as soon as you sit down there, he's there. You go to church, he's right there. Some people think, you know, I leave the demons outside when I come to church. Forget it. He goes in there here with you, and he started talking to your mind. As you hear the Word of God, and the Word of God gets planted in your mind, it gets planted into your heart, and I bet some of you are having that experience right now. What is Satan doing? He's trying to snatch it away. He's trying to get it out of your heart. Hello, and welcome to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Every time you open your heart to the Word of God, a battle begins. You may find yourself suddenly stressed by what's on your to-do list, or you begin to feel fatigue coming on, leading to a nap, all used by Satan to keep the Word from seeding deep into your life. Today, Dr. Yusuf continues his series, Know Your Real Enemy, looking at how Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen as Dr. Yusuf begins this life-changing message. You know, I, I'm told by those who uh, know the world of wild animals that there are basically three times in which a lion roars with vehemence. One of those times that the lion roars is when there is a strange animal in his territory that is trying to hunt in his area. And in this case, he roars because he wants to warn intruders, this is my territory. Get out of here. Stay out. And then there's a second time that a lion roars very strongly. And that is if he is caught in a storm. Apparently, he roars the loudest because he cannot stand the crushing of thunder and the flashing of lightning. And I thought when I heard this, no wondering, that Satan is angry the most at an evangelical church that preaches the gospel and that calls men and women to escape from his jaws into the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's a third reason for which a lion's roar, and I believe this is the purpose for which the Apostle Peter brings it here in this text. And the third cause for his roaring is after he has caught his prey, And he is on top of that prey saying, I have got you. And then he will let out a roar of triumph. He lets out a roar of success. He lets out a roar of victory. It is no surprising, therefore, that the Apostle Peter concludes his first epistle here by drawing a very vivid word picture of a lion. A lion who is constantly prowling constantly walking around and constantly stalking his prey. And then he roars after 
his victim has fallen into his deception. And that is why Peter the faithful shepherd in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is roaring lion. He's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. Peter is saying, being sober and alert is the antithesis of a drunken stupor. The word sober here is used metaphorically. And it is used to mean be serious-minded about the devil. Be serious-minded about the spiritual warfare that you're in. Be serious-minded about the tracks and the trips that he sets up for you. Be sober. Be serious-minded. Now, we're all aware of the misery of drunken driving. I have buried young people who are victims of drunken driving. It is heartbreaking beyond words I cannot even explain. And drinking and driving is the number one kill on our roads in this nation. And you have to ask why in the world? Why does this problem persist? And it's simply as I looked into it, the answer has to be is because the drunk person is incapable to accurately assessing his ability or her ability. It is the highest form of self-deception is drunkenness. A drunk driver has an impaired vision. He has an impaired mental capacity. He has an impaired physical capacity. He has an impaired ability to react quickly. And Peter is telling us the believers in Jesus Christ, those who have put their trust in him, he is telling us here that spiritually speaking, it works the same way in the spiritual realm. Sin can numb our spiritual senses. And it can numb our spiritual senses to the point of denial that there is a spiritual warfare going out there. Spiritually speaking, he's saying when you are not spiritually sober, you become unable to see things clearly. You are unable to see things biblically. You are unable to see things from God's perspective. Spiritual sobriety sees things in their true light. Spiritual sobriety sees things in their true nature. Spiritual sobriety means living by a different set of values, by biblical set of values. Spiritual sobriety means being aware of the danger around you and having the ability to sense it and having the ability to guard against it and to stand behind the lion of the king of Judah. In addition to being spiritually sober, he said, be vigilant. Those two words, if you have your Bible, just circle them, okay? And this is exactly sober and vigilant. They may have another word to use, but these are the best English words I can think of. While sobriety deals with our internal attitude, our vigilance has to do with our external defense systems. And the first thing you must do to be vigilant is to recognize that you are in a hostile enemy territories. That's the first thing. That you must remind yourself that you are in hostile enemy territories. This is the world, and the God of this world is ruling and prowling around and is trying to destroy you. You must be aware of the fact that you are surrounded by unseen adversaries, and they're seeking to destroy you. But praise be to God, He has already given us the victory. He has already given us the means and the ways by which we can have 
victory and have him first before he can have us. What is Satan's intention toward you, child of God? Listen carefully. Satan's intention toward any child of God who has fallen in Satan's trap is first of all, he doesn't reveal himself. He doesn't want to reveal his presence to you until he can roar to announce to you that he has gotten you beat. But you know what? You already know that. You already know that by that time. And after you are defeated, he roar in defiance against the Almighty God. You say, why would he roar in defiance against the Almighty God? To challenge him, to challenge God. God, do something about the devastation that I brought about one of your children. Remember this, from the very first message, when Lucifer rebelled against God and God threw him out of heaven, in the book of Isaiah, he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He said, I will be like the Most High. And Satan has never given up wanting to be like the Most High. He is in an antagonistic relationship with our Most High God. And then he got kicked out of heaven. But you know what? He has never stopped ever since that time. Because he did not succeed to depose God, he's trying to succeed to defeat his children prowls around. And then when he got his prey, he roars. Because of being self-deceived, that he is coming step closer toward removing God from his throne and he rules the universe. I want to give you some examples from the scripture of how Satan roars when the child of God falls in his temptation, falls in his snare, falls in his trap, Falls in going along in disobedience to the living God. The first example I want to give you is in the book of Joshua. God gave Joshua and the people of Israel victory over Jericho. This was fortified city. It was a city that has an incredible fortress around it. And yet God supernaturally, miraculously gave them victory over Jericho. Joshua, flushed with victory, is a little town by the name of Ai. At that moment... After the flush of victory, Joshua ceased to be sober. He ceased to be watchful. He ceased to be prayerful. He ceased to be alert. He ceased to be consecrating himself as he did before. He ceased to be watchful and vigilant. And in chapter 7 of the book of Joshua, you find that the next battle with Ai, Joshua and the people of God get decimated and defeated. And Joshua goes to God and cries back to God, Oh God, what happened? And God tells him that there is a sin in the camp. There's a sin in the camp. And Joshua deals with that sin. He goes into repentance. He cleanses the camp. And then he becomes overconfident again. Let me tell you something. Every time you're going to fall, you're going to fall right after a blessing. He was overconfident again. And after this victory in A, he ceased to be watchful. He ceased to be sober. He ceased to be vigilant. And what happened in chapter 9? Chapter 9 from 7. There's only two chapters apart. Joshua gets deceived by the Gibeonites and brought decimation upon the people of God from that moment on. Did Joshua anticipate it? No. Did Joshua go back to Gilgal and consult with God? No. Did Joshua seek a word from the Lord? No on this matter. And here you see Satan on top of Joshua roaring before God. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, one of God's choicest people, David, there you find him in the dumps. Down in the dumps. 
And Satan is roaring the roar of defiance over his prey. God gave David victory after victory. God said that I examined David's heart and I found it after my own heart. David experienced the blessings of God like very few people will ever experience it. And David was so conscious of the presence of God. But one thing happened. He ceased to be soberly vigilant. He began to spiritually relax. He began to spiritually take it easy. He wasn't anticipating the lion stalking him, setting up his traps to get him. He was not vigilant and alert. You know, the text does not give us any indication here that David planned this. All that happened that he was sleepless. He got sleepless at night. So he got up and went to the roof of his house. And there was a woman. And there Satan has succeeded. Adultery, murder, and the rest of it. The adversary was setting up his traps. And David fell in his trap. And you know, he ended up not only bringing reproach upon himself, but upon his God. I want to ask you a question. When you get some sleepless nights, what do you do? What you do with your sleeplessness will determine whether you are on the alert and vigilant or not. Whether you are watchful or not. Do you get up and watch television? Or do you go on your knees and begin to bless God and pray and do battle on your knees? David got up and walked up on the roof. Instead of doing what he normally does, that is walk across the street, literally a very narrow street, and enter into the temple of God and bless God and worship God and honor God and praise God. David fell under Satan's trap and there Satan roars. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus said to Peter, listen, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Do you know when these words came to Peter from the mouth of the Lord Jesus? They came right after that sweet companion, the sweet fellowship they had in the upper room. And there immediately after that precious Passover meal in which Jesus revealed himself that he is the Passover lamb, that he is the one who's going to die, that he is that all the Passover has been a shadow until he is the Passover lamb of God has come for redemption and for salvation. Right after that tender moment when Jesus reached down and he drew these disciples intimately close to his heart, right after this inexplicable moment of close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Peter, Satan is right here and he desires to sift you as wheat. Now you city slickers don't know what sifting of wheat is. The sieve is, is a round thing. It's, it's made of malleable wood. It's about two inches, three inches long, sometimes longer, but it's a circle. And then there's a wire there inside it. Very thin wire. And the person who is sifting the wheat puts all the wheat with the chaff and the dirt and everything in it. And then he begins to shake it this way. And then he shake it this way. And then he will throw it up in the air so the chaff can be blown away. And it's all painful for the wheat. Shake it every which way he can in order to get the wheat down there and get rid of all the chaff and all the dirt. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Because, you know, 12 hours later, 
Peter was denying any knowledge of his master and his friend Jesus to a little slave girl. Why? Because after the blessing of the upper room, after Peter's boasting and bragging about how he will never deny Jesus, Peter ceased to be vigilant. He ceased to be spiritually sober and Satan was stalking Peter. And Satan was setting up his traps for Peter. And Satan was waiting for the opportune moment to trick Peter, to entice Peter, and to subdue him. And the moment he found the opportunity, Peter was relaxing and sitting there by the fireplace. Satan swiftly moved and devoured Peter. And then he roared again. God, I've got the chief apostles, apostle of your son. I've got him. And that is the sifting began. I wonder whether Peter thought of suicide. I wonder what Peter thought so discouraged, so despondent after that miserable act of denying his friend and his Lord Jesus. And the sifting process began until the Lord dealt with it after the resurrection. But Peter knew how to repent. Judas didn't. That's the difference. In the book of Acts chapter 5, the disciples and the believers were selling all that they had and they're putting the money right at the feet of the apostles. And they're coming down and, and giving all they have. Because remember, this is the early church. They were being thrown out of houses. They've been thrown out of jobs. They've been thrown out of the community because of their faith. They were living together in a sweet fellowship of mutual commitment to Jesus Christ. Most of them have seen him with their own eyes, have witnessed the resurrection. And you would think, if there is a place on the face of the earth... A group of people that would be spiritually vigil, that would be sober, they'll be watchful, they'll be alert, would be this group. Yet one of them, the Bible said, a man by the name of Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of land and they kept part of the price and they went to the apostles and they lied to them and they said, this is all we sold the land for. Are you telling the truth about the gifts that God has given you? Only the Spirit of God knows that. It's between you and Him. I want you to listen to the words that Peter said. He said to Ananias, he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit of God and keep back part of the price of the land? Listen to the next verse. He said, before you sold the land, was it not your own? And then after you sold it, was it not at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? And there the judgment of God fell upon Ananias and Sapphira and they were dropped dead right on the spot. Why? Because they were not watchful. They were not sober. They were not vigilant. And Satan set his straps and they fell in it. And then Satan roared. A roar of defiance in the face of God. Please hear me right. I'm getting ready to close. Sin can be a result of premeditated, pre-planned, predetermined action. But sin often comes to the life of a Christian when he or she is not seriously minded. When he or she is not vigilant, alert to the prowling lion. And you know people for many generations have asked this incredibly important theological question. Can really the devil devour a child of God? And it is an important question. Ananias and Sapphira sure is a good example of that. 
Some have pointed to 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, because there it says that Satan cannot harm the Christian. I'll read it to you. The evil one does not touch him, talking about the believer. I looked up the word touch in the original. And here the word means sever the vital union. Namely, that the careless Christian, that the careless believer may not lose his salvation, but sure can be devoured by Satan in his life. When it comes to the believer's eternal salvation, Satan cannot change that. He cannot do anything about that because God has spoken. But when it comes to bruising, to mangling, to devouring of the careless Christian, it must be the case. Otherwise, Peter would have written the following. He would have said, the devil is only a paper tiger while he prowls around. He can only roar. He cannot bite. He's not allowed to tempt you. He's not allowed to tempt any of the God's children. Therefore, don't pay any attention to him. He is all roar and no devour. But that's not what it said, does it? Paul would not have written to the Ephesians. He would have written and said, don't bother to take up the full armor of God. We have no fight with the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. No, but that's not what he said. James would have written and said, don't bother resisting the devil. He will always flee away from you. But that's not what he said. But we are urged in every page of the scripture that this resistance of the devil, this spiritual sobriety, this vigilance must be daily, must be constant, must be always. We put on the whole armor of God daily. We live in the fullness of Christ daily. We pray in the Spirit daily. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, quotes Martin Luther, the great German reformer, to be saying, and I quote, he said, the best way to drive out the devil, of course, is through using the Scripture. But if he will not yield to the texts of the Scripture, then jeer him, <laughs> flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. <laughs> I told you before, whenever the devil comes to remind me of my past sins before Christ, I always remind him of his future in the lake of fire. And he doesn't like that. He takes off. <laughs> the archangel Michael, when he came into conflict with the devil, he said, the Lord rebuke you. This is a clear indication for me that while we have authority over the enemy, our authority is nothing without walking daily with Jesus Christ. You and I cannot be cocky. We cannot try single-handedly to take on the spiritual principalities and the powers. We will get into trouble. The devil can only be defeated by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb. For only when you and I line up and stand behind the King of Kings, the King, the Lion of Judah, only then, only when we are covered under the shadow of the Almighty, only when we plead the blood of the Lamb of God, only when we are fortified by the whole armor of God daily, only then can we have victory and be victorious. You're listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf. Now we'd love for you to hear today's message again or maybe share it with a friend so they can experience victory too. You can do that through the free online archives at ltw.org. The Leading the Way app is also a convenient way to listen, watch, and share all of Dr. Yusuf's messages. More info is available at ltw.org. 
Well, that's all our time for today. But plan to join Dr. Yusuf again next time for another powerful message on Leading the Way. This program is provided by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.